we work to keep the the machine going, but it's those inner passions, it's those inner things that you know that wake us at night when we're really excited that we want to wake up to in the morning. It's those ambitions, and that's what Surfrider really was to me. It was my my project, my ambition, um, all the activities that we had going. I wanted to make them bigger. It was important to spread the word about the things so that everyone could join in and celebrate what I thought was a, a really great thing and what I still believe is a, a really good thing. You know, if you can encourage others to get involved in your passion and if it's doing something good for the environment, like there's nothing better than that. And the ocean, the ocean gives us life. So to me, doing things for the ocean was, that's like the biggest service. I felt like that was my calling in life. Hi, and welcome to the Mindset and Performance Podcast. I'm Dries. I help athletes and business professionals with their career development. We work on a wide range of areas from psychology to strategy and execution, but we focus essentially on the mindset as it is the key to everything else. The whole idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct the habits that led people to their success, to learn from their experience and understand the psychology behind their actions and behaviors. And of course, to gain key insights that you can apply to your own life. My conversation this week is with Susie. Susie was the first female chair of the Surfrider Foundation Australia and was responsible for the development of the programs, community collaborations, partnerships and events. She joined Surfrider Australia in 2012 as the president of the South Coast branch and has remained in that position to date. Her roles with Surfrider Australia are voluntary. Susie has extensive business and travel experience and took up a career with Qantas Airlines in 1988 as an international flight attendant and has traveled throughout the world seeing firsthand the negative effects of single-use plastic and many other issues affecting the marine environment due to human impact. In 1997, as a mother of three young children, she built and founded a progressive preschool on the south coast of New South Wales with a strong focus on the environment called Planet Child Care Centre. The children in her care go to the beach to have lessons and do beach cleanings, and their program has a marine emphasis. Her strong entrepreneurial energy in flair has grown the Surfrider brand in Australia. Driven by the desire to find solutions for global heating, climate crisis and the plight of oceans and the marine environment, she trained with Al Gore and became a member of the Climate Reality Leadership Corp. Susie was selected from over 10,000 applicants to be chosen as a crew member on the Expedition.com, which is an around-the-world sailing voyage doing ocean microplastic research. Susie will be sailing from Tahiti to the Cook Islands in April 2021. She is also an ambassador for wavechanger.org. Susie is an advocate for organizing events that attract media attention and connect like-minded people and organizations to join her personal mission to grow community awareness and educate the public into action. She enjoys speaking at conferences and writes a marine environmental column for a magazine and sits as a voluntary director for the non-profit board organizations like the Boomerang Alliance, Citizen Blue and the Surfrider Foundation Australia. It was a pleasure hosting Susie and this is our conversation. 
Excellent. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. What have you been up to so far? Uh, working all day today, so it's been pretty good. Yeah, I worked in the preschool today and been out for a walk down to the beach. The water's really flat today. It's glassy, so it was nice just to walk there. Very nice. Do you surf? Very badly. I surf like a cat in a washing machine, but, but I like to get out there. But it's got to be really small for me to surf. Okay, okay. I, I, I can't hear anything about surfing anymore now. My friends are surfing in Australia, in America. I'm not surfing. I have been surfing for two months. It's very, very painful. It must be very frustrating for you. It is. It is. We should kind of swap shoes. I like to look at it, but I get really frightened of big waves so right planning to go maybe by the end of the month of may to portugal with a friend he's gonna come and pick me up from here he's also in germany and uh but in frankfurt so we plan to do a little road trip which is i'm really excited about hopefully just the restrictions are uh, and and the safety rules are a little bit more relaxed so we can move and enjoy as much as we can Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. What, what part of Portugal? To the, uh, the, uh, big, the big waves aren't there at the moment. They were just recently there, weren't they? They are usually in the winter of Europe, so this northern okay. hemisphere. It's uh, between uh, December and January, I would say. Uh, late November, already you can see yeah. the beginning of some big waves. Cool. But not, not, that's not nothing for me. Nothing. <laughs> so we go you like the big ones? Uh, big ones, but not those, this kind of big ones, not the, the huge okay. ones from there. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. so curious, uh, since we um, started talking yesterday, I'm so curious about how you organize your day. But let me first introdu- introduce you and let me know if I have missed something from this list. I have a big list of introductions here. So you are a chair okay. of the board of directors and also... Well, of Surfrider Foundation Australia. Yes, I stepped down from the chair position just a few days ago. I okay. just announced it a few days ago. I think I saw that one. That's what made me think about getting in touch with you. But let me go, yes. go on with that. And then you're also yep. the president of the Surfrider Foundation, correct? South Coast Branch, yes. yes. You're also ambassador at the Wave Changer, a crew yep. member of Expedition, a climate reality leader, a board member of Citizen Blue, the director of Planet, an early childhood learning center, and finally an international flight attendant. Did I miss something? Yes, I'm also on the board of directors of the Boomerang Alliance, which is a group of um, many different environmental, or the leading environmental organizations in Australia. It's called the Boomerang Alliance. I think there's maybe 54... um, different entities or it could be 48 i can quickly google that if you need <laughs> but it's many many environmental agencies no, no but but hold on a second how 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 can you be active in so many things at the same time well the, the environment means so much to me and i just kind of fell into all of these roles and people say will you do it and then i think oh and i always say yes i find it hard to say no to people okay but so did they approach you or did you make yes. so you made yourself yeah. visible and expert on the field no people people have approached me for these things yeah why for, so why did they approach you uh, for that i think they think i have a lot of energy 
and <laughs> most of the time I do, to be honest. So um, I'm I'm happy to use my voice for the environment. So someone has to speak up, and if no one else is talking, here I am. Okay. So so what do you mean here specifically by energy? You mean um, the energy that we need to run a lot of things in the same time, or is it like more the positive energy from within to be expressive and? Yeah, look, I think it's more, um, the energy from within and the positivity. I think that's what's really needed in the world at mm. this time. Mm. Um, I'm pretty good at prioritizing things and I know how to organize my day quite well. Mm -hmm. um, I wake really early and I kind of think what needs to be done today. And yeah, there's a lot of like stars in my calendar. This one really needs to be done. So mm. look, I just think it's about applying yourself and seeing where the gaps are and going for it. So can you uh, run us through a normal, typical day for you? What time you wake up? What do you start with? Okay. Usually in the morning, I, I wake really early. Like uh, I, It's not that I have trouble sleeping. It's just that there's so many exciting things happening in the world that I like to get to the day quickly. Um, usually the first thing in the morning is go for a swim. I like swimming in the in the surf. Um, well, what time you wake up? Oh, I wake really early, but I <laughs> anywhere between four thirty and five o'clock. But wow. then I go for a swim usually just after sunrise. I like mm. swimming after sunrise. Um, I go for a bit of a walk on the beach. I'll clean the beach. Um, I'm really lucky and blessed that I live near the water, and I live in a small seaside community, mm. so I have the opportunity to have the beach often to myself. It's, it's lovely. And um, yeah, so a swim is the first thing that really clears the head. And then depending on what is happening on the day, uh, I'm, I'm juggling my work or um, activities with the environmental organizations that I'm involved with, um, answering emails, doing a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of networking and it's an awful lot of talking with people all around the world. I, I find it tricky to uh, coordinate what time because people say, oh, I'll talk to you at 4 p.m. And I'm thinking your time or my time. And yeah, anyway, so that's, that's interesting. But the days are always interesting and I love the mornings. I'm a morning person and my best ideas are formulated in the really small hours of the morning when I just wake. Mm -hmm. and then ready to go and you said before that you uh think about what you need to be doing during that day in the morning or do you already have a plan from the day before you know what you're going to be doing the day after or like even i don't know on a sunday for example you have a plan for the yeah whole. usually i'll i'll look at my week at the beginning of the week and see what's coming up mm -hmm. um but yeah on a Pretty much from the morning, I'll prioritize things that need to be done each day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the morning. I, I love the morning and my, my best work is achieved in the morning. That quiet time in the morning is so precious. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, it's it is. your me time where you actually, I, I, I also like mornings, I'm a morning person. And that early, those early hours where everything is still quiet, um, there's no distractions, no, nobody buzzing you, nobody... Uh, yeah. reach out reaching out or anything that's the time where I actually recharge and uh, yes. your morning routine sounds very nice 
Oh, I think so. <laughs> I, I like I like the swim part of it. It's pretty cool. Oh, I like that too. Anything else also you do in the morning? Like uh, some kind of personal routines? I've I've tried meditating, uh -huh. but um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I do that. I'm not sure, but I just need to get up and go. I'm uh -huh. I'm really quite energetic. I feel like mercury in a bowl most of the time, and there's so many things that are happening that I really like to tick off my lists and get them going. I have a great sense of achievement when when I can get through things. So, right. And, and as you mentioned the list, do you have um, a written list hand on paper or like more rather a digital version with yeah. in boxes? To be honest, I was writing them down, but most of them are in my head. And then I tend to be very fluid. So I'll start on one, then I might get distracted by something, but mm. what I'm distracted by is kind of important. So... Um, I'll spend a bit of time on that and then I'll go back to what needed to be done. I, I like to memorize things like letters, like, um, you know, like, I don't know, like if my activity is, I don't know, I'm just trying to think. I'll think like bananas, mangoes. Uh, I like fruit. I think in terms of fruit, um, I know that kind of sounds a bit wacky, but um, things like that help me stay on task right right you see see um some of my clients um they also they are very ambitious and very they want to do a lot of things they uh i am thinking about one specifically here who's in the same time studying running a non-profit uh working hard uh, as an athlete to climb her and improve her career athletic career um want to run retreats in the same time but what happens usually is that they kind of suffer from um, goal competition. Let's call, that, let's call that goal competition. So a lot of goals in the same time. And imagine they are in the center and they have to go right, left, front, and back. And they don't, they don't put enough energy into one thing to make it work. But it seems like for you it's a little bit different, isn't it? Well, I don't know. Look, from a young age, I was a, a competitive ice skater so i'm fiercely competitive mm -hmm. like when i was um with when i was chairing surf rider my goal was to make it not only you know really out there and the biggest in australia i want to get surf rider australia huge in the whole world so competition to me is important not in a negative or destructive way where mm -hmm. anyone else is hurt or hindered but just in a way that it can really build this agency and then that makes a nice wake for others to follow. Mm. So I like to grow things in a good way, but I'm also f like fiercely competitive. So what you're saying about your friend who has all these different um, arenas happening, I can relate to that, but I'll focus on what is the most important. So for the past eight years or so, Surfride has really been my driving force because my children are already grown up. They're quite independent. So they're no longer as needy of me. And I really needed something to nurture and Surfrider became my little baby. Mm -hmm. So it was focus on that. And I've got other things that are happening, you know, my work, which is really important, but we work to keep the 
the machine going, but it's those inner passions. It's those inner things that, mm. you know, that wake us at night when we're really excited that we want to wake up to in the morning. It's those ambitions. And that's what Surfrider really was to me. It was my, my project, my ambition, um, all the activities that we had going, mm. I wanted to make them big. It was important to spread the word about the things so that everyone could join in and celebrate what I thought was a, a really great thing and what mm. I still believe is a, a really good thing. You know, mm. If you can encourage others to get involved in your passion and if it's doing something good for the environment, like there's nothing better than that. And the ocean, the ocean gives us life. So to me, doing things for the ocean was, that's like the biggest service. I felt like that was my calling in life. And it, that was, that's just something that I had happening. So, and, and still so, do. so where and when did it all begin for you? Okay, many, many years ago, probably about 20 years ago, I was in Bali with my work. And the, uh, I work as an international flight attendant part-time. So the rest of the crew were by the pool sipping, you know, cocktails. And I'm a bit of a nature girl. I'm not too into chlorine or man-made things. So I went down to the beach and it was, it was beautiful. But there, was, there were plastic bags everywhere. There was plastic everywhere. There was rubbish. And that was so long ago. And it just struck me that it was so sad that, in such a beautiful paradise, there was evidence of the worst of mankind's debris just littered there on a beautiful beach. So I walked back to the hotel and I bumped into one of my crew members and he said, what's up? You, you look really sad. What's, the matter? what's happened to you? And I said, oh, that, that beautiful beach has just got plastic and rubbish. I, I don't think I can do this. You know, it's, it's really that really upset me. And um, he's like, oh, you know, get over it, get over it. And I thought, well, I've got to try and do something. So I picked up a bit of rubbish, but I thought this is useless. You know, here I am on one strip of beach. And then um, I thought, okay, well, Bali was kind of a bit of a downer for me at the time. And I thought I'll fly somewhere else. So I flew to another place and I had the same experience in another part of the world. And it just struck me wow, this is so sad. You know, I can't let my world get smaller and smaller because my eyes are only seeing the rubbish. I have to change this. I have to turn this around so that I stop seeing the rubbish and so that I use my, my hands, power, my powerful body, um, my voice to fix this. And then I fell into the well, it, I, I was involved with environmental organizations and thought, wow, I've got a voice. I can use it. I can start networking with other people. I can start connecting the dots all around the world. And one person can't, can only do so much, but a lot of people, um, one person doing one action is great. Eight billion doing the same action is magnificent. And if we all, hear the same things well we're not all going to hear the same thing we're not all going to be driven by the same thing but if we all respect mother nature respect the beautiful earth that we walk on and treat it with a little bit more respect and show it a bit of love i think we can all push together to make this good 
You're right, right. Yes, so that shift happened uh, 20 years ago in Bali. Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of just sat there somewhere deep in my belly. And at the time, my, my children were young. All my focus, all my energy was on caring, nurturing my children. Mm -hmm. And then about 10 years ago, I heard a, a presentation. that and It was actually that movie, that bag, bag movie about the plastic bags. And that really woke me up. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, girl, you know, for years you've been quietly picking up bits of rubbish and not buying so many things in plastic, but now put it into action. And um, I was involved in a paddle out on Sydney Harbour where we were, there was a group of hundreds of us campaigning to the government to bring in container deposit schemes where we would get a refund for the plastic bottles for the like you know like the cans and beer bottles mm. and um soda bottles juice bottles and i thought we have to let the government know that we want these bottles being recycled so that they don't end up in landfill because landfill eventually you know goes to the ocean you know i believe we all live downstream and whatever you put on the earth it flows back to the sea so I was involved in this paddle out and that's where I met the surf rider crew and they said, Hey, where do you live? And I told them I lived on the South coast, South of Sydney. And they said, do you want to get involved with surf rider? And boom, it happened. And then I quickly surrounded myself with like-minded people because mm. in my community where I live, um, it's, it's a really, it's a coastal seaside area a lot of people surf, swim, they're really outdoorsy. And um, it was easy to find people that really cared about the environment. So um, yeah, it was, it was so easy to find a cohort of people who mm. shared the same values mm -hmm. and the branch grew. And the more it grew, I realized it's not just old people like myself that need to get involved. We really need to bring the youth into this. So I was running a preschool and I shifted the whole focus to caring for the marine mm. marine environment and we started the program in the preschool and it was really popular and the children were going home and educating their parents and the parents would come to me and say well wow, what are you doing with our kids you know like we go to the beach we can't have a day at the beach anymore it's about picking up rubbish and but i said but it's not about picking up rubbish it's about keeping our environment beautiful and respecting respecting the ocean Right. Were they complaining or quite impressed? And they were, they were impressed. I don't think they were complaining. Yeah, they were impressed. And um, yeah, so it, it all kind of grew from there. It is so important to teach these uh, things in an early stage to our kids, right? Absolutely. So that, that made me think, that makes me think, who were you before? Because I believe you, it's, I mean, the shift happened probably in Bali when you, uh, 20 years ago. Sorry. <laughs> no problem no problem and 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 uh, but there must have been some sort of interest in the back before um like uh, how, how was your childhood like who were you before even all of that well are you from sydney funny. originally also are you from that same area? yes yeah i, I was born in sydney yes yeah. and yeah i lived in sydney all my life on on manly beach yeah. And I moved down to the South Coast um, when my children were born. Um, but as a young child, I remember one day 
our class was walking to the library and we used to walk along the beachfront to the library and there was this is kind of unrelated but it it, it is important there was a, a place where uh, it was like a hospice for young children who were fostered um, there was a lot of disadvantaged children there I, I grew up in this, I was, I was born in the 60s, um, so there was still a lot of inequality for Indigenous Australians, for our Aboriginal community. And I remember saying to my teachers, why, why are these children behind this cage? Because they were behind a fence and it was, it was like when you would, this sounds awful, but when you would go to the zoo, you know, there would there'd be the animals behind the cage. And I said, why are the children playing behind a cage? And the nuns, my teachers said, those children don't have a family like you do, and they don't have good food. They're not, they're not very healthy. So that's why they are holidaying here. And that struck me as really crazy bad. And I said to the nun, what do you mean they don't have food? And she said, well, at home you have fruit and vegetables and you have healthy food, but these children aren't given the same opportunities as you. So, okay, we went to the library and somehow I started talking to my peers in the class and I said, you know, those kids on the way here, the kids we saw playing behind the cage, they don't have healthy food. Tomorrow, everybody bring a piece of fruit to school. So... I'd said that to all of the kids at school, that that message spread like wildfire through the playground. And the next morning, all these kids said, we've got the fruit and I didn't have boxes or anything to put this fruit in. So across the road from the school, there was a, a greengrocer a shop. I said, do you have any boxes, please? I, I need boxes to put fruit in. So he gave, the man gave me a few boxes and there was maybe three boxes full of fruit and anyway, um, the nuns found out that I had been collecting fruit without their permission, without telling it to any teacher. I was nine years old at the time, and I remember being caned for it. How, how dare you organise something without asking the school principal and without telling your teachers? You know, how dare you put this upon you? And I got in trouble, and my punishment was carrying these heavy boxes to the children and then, you know, leaving it at the office. And I thought that was so unjust and so crazy. And I think that's when my activism and I thought, don't be, yes, I got in trouble for that, but I thought, don't be frightened to do what you think is right because I knew that fruit was going to help these children. I couldn't give them family. I couldn't give them love, but I could tell the other kids to bring fruit so at least they had good food. So that, I think, is where some of it came from. Mm -hmm. um, I was never rebellious. I was not naughty. But I had very strong ideas on what was right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And I was not afraid to say what I thought was right. It often got me in trouble. I was very respectful. But I feel if you can use your voice to help someone else, do it. That makes sense. Was there anybody that you were looking up to in that sense? Like some person, like, I don't know, maybe parents, somebody on the TV or. Um, look, my, my parents were wonderful. Um, 
I loved sports, loved uh-huh. sports. And my favorite athletes were people like um, Mark Spitz, the swimmer. I mean, we're going back to the really early 70s. No problem. Um, like, I love one. <laughs> back to show, yeah. So, like, athletes, athletes to me are everything. People that yeah. can control their body have mm-hmm. strong minds. People that have that discipline, that training, to me, that's remarkable. Um, and then I got into figure skating and Dorothy Hamill to me was just so beautiful and so free on the ice. And I loved ice skating. I loved the fact that there was no right or wrong. If you were wrong, it would hurt. You would fall. Mm. Um, and you could still express yourself. Um, and, and I loved watching surfing. I lived on Manly beach and often, um, when I was older, I would, uh, sneak out of my school at lunchtime. I don't think my parents knew this. And I would go down and just watch the surfers because I thought, wow, what they could do on the wave was magic. But it was always, it was always just in the back of my mind. I loved, I loved watching their capability, their control of, of their body when there was another force. Like on the ice, it was just me. And if I fell or if I made a mistake, it's because my body didn't do, didn't react how I needed it to react. But with the surfing, they were, they were even crazier than gymnasts because um, they had another force to contend with. They had the wave, the water, the wind, the, the tide, something bigger. I mean, the ocean is so much bigger than we are. And to me, that was, that was awe-inspiring. Um, right, yeah. I see. Inspiration coming from athleticism, from surfing, from the ocean. That was the source. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And yeah. nowadays, uh, with what you do, like I believe there's a lot of leaders out there and people who are as active as you are. And oh. so, so who, do, who, who, is, uh, who are the people that you think uh, uh, Who are the people you? I look up to? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I really respect Maria Westerbos from the Plastic Soup Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, she has an organization based in Amsterdam, and she's one really tough cookie mm-hmm. that takes on the big boys of like the the big ones like Johnson and Johnson, Coca Cola, um, Procter and Gamble. She doesn't hold back, mm-hmm. and I think wow. She's really strong. She's, she's formidable. She organizes these amazing international conferences where there will be the world leaders, the university researchers that are really doing cutting-edge studies on the effects of plastics on our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think that the people that she's pulling together to get the message out is really, is really good. Um, another one of my what did you learn uh, from her what is the thing that you say you would pick from her well she she's um she's got a great charisma in that she can inspire mm. those who work with her to come on board mm. and um she she's so knowledgeable um, her background is TV production. So it's really crazy that she switched from TV production into campaigning against single-use plastics. 
Um, oh, did I forget to tell you that my real passion is um, campaigning against single-use plastics, like microplastics, plastics. That's the thing that really, mm -hmm. that, um, that, that's the thing that really draws me to these people. And I think Maria is one of those people who's, who um, pulls together, she manages to pull together all of the mm. different people and all the different research. And I, I think that's so important because at the moment in the world, Everyone is a specialist. If you want to learn something, you don't necessarily have to go to university. You can spend a few hours on the internet every night researching things and you can become quite knowledgeable on something in a, sh in, in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So everything is possible now. The world has opened up to us. It's, um, it's what you do with that. We can't have millions of little birds everywhere going, me, 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 me. we need to come together and be one big loud roar to the governments and say stop this single-use plastic production yeah. we need to stop it at the source recycling is good but that's kind of picking it up at the very end mm. we need to stop it right back at the beginning so teach us a little more about the microplastic is that what you where you specialize microplastic i, I don't know if i specialize i mean mm. i i'm i, I never big note myself but that's where my passion lies mm -hmm. it's the unseen plastics it's the plastics that slip away it's the ones that when we walk into the supermarket and we need flour or we need we need something mm -hmm. we have to think beyond what we need we have to think about what we're going to buy and okay we use the contents of the packaging but what about the packaging where is that going to go and that's what where my whole mind process kind of leads. And I think we have to be far more clever with, with what we do with all of our resources. Now that plastic, it's already created. It's a resource and it's one that we shouldn't waste, one that shouldn't just go to landfill. But how much more plastic can we just keep creating? Like plastic is not compatible with nature. It's not something that melts into the earth. It sits there forever indefinitely. It keeps breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces. It sorry, it breaks up. It doesn't break down. It breaks up, and and that's that's the danger in everything that we wear. Virtually everything we touch, we touch more plastic than we do our loved ones. Sorry, I'm quoting a, a, another one of my heroes there, David Katz. He, I heard him speak, and he said we touch plastic more than we do our loved ones. But that's true. We, we do touch plastic everywhere. It's, it's there. And I think we just have to kind of be a bit more mindful of, mm. of how we live and reduce our dependence on, mm. on plastics, particularly single-use plastics, which are the superfluous ones, the ones that we don't really need, and, um, and try and get a better quality of life. Mm. So what do you find the most challenging in what you do? Is it like the like putting the message out there? Is it uh, rather making um, big organizations change their approach to uh, using plastic? What is it that is most challenging? Well, getting big organizations to change their practice and mm. the fact that um, governments, not all governments, but a lot of governments say, oh, we'll do this in 2025 or 2030. And I understand there is a process mm -hmm. and I understand there's got to be a lead in time because you can't just, 
you know, come in and say, no more plastic. Well, if I was king of the world, that's how it would be. But um, I think we have to really ramp up the way that we, um, why do we accept that it is okay to keep doing it for the next 10 years, nine years, five years? We should now already be starting to start the motion to change the process. And, you know, the, the big boys that make this plastic, make them accountable. Okay, you have a product, you sell it, it has to come back to you. I don't know, because it can't just keep going into holes in the ground. We, we, we can't keep digging holes in the ground. Mm. We've got too much plastic happening. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere and it's, and it's leaching into the ocean. It's breaking up. It's, you know, even when we wash our clothes, it's, mm. it's in each washing load. You know, the, yeah, I suppose your question, the hardest thing, getting the message to the big boys to change, also getting the message out and waking up the consciousness of people. Um, but I, there's no finger pointing, there's no blaming. Everybody is on the journey somewhere. And I think we all just have to support each other and help each other along so that we can wake up to the reality sooner. I mean, I'm still a beginner. I speak to my heroes and I think, wow, I know nothing about this. I'm constantly learning and, and, and I think we all have to support each other on the journey and, and get to that realisation a lot faster. You know, the, the current situation in the world um, is interesting because a lot of us are looking to go into our gardens. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Europe and in the States, but in Australia, people are starting to grow vegetables, grow herbs. I've kind of been successful with the herbs the vegetables, caterpillars are all over them. And it wasn't until the leaves were eaten and my friends were saying, oh, you've got to put, you know, chili, chili in water, stuff like that. But um, there's a realisation happening now and I think people are getting in touch more with um, what's important and maybe all the stuff that we um, thought was so important and the busyness and the over-scheduling that was important a few months ago is not so important. And that's kind of what's dawned to me. Mm. It's not about how busy you can be or all the titles or all the jobs, all the roles. It's like you said, maybe find one thing, make an impact there rather than juggling so many balls. And, um, and also, you know, um, I was chair of surf rider up until a few days ago and I realized I can still do what I want to do, but there are people out there and the new chair, he's fantastic. I believe he'll be able to really grow the organization and touch more surfers because he's very connected to the surfing community. And that's what surf rider is about. So, Hey, who better to lead the organization mm -hmm. than a surfer who has a wide reach. I'll still keep doing my plastic stuff. I'm not going anywhere. Um, but you know, I felt it was time to hand the baton onto someone that could take the organization where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we want to make it the number one ocean conservation organization, uh, work with people that can, can drive it there. So, 
what yeah. skills one needs to have to be able to run such a uh, purposeful mission? I think communication is important. Mm -hmm. I think um, tough skin as well, mm -hmm. because you know you get a lot of criticism. You get a lot of um, you get a lot of unnecessary stuff coming at you. Um, I think being a communicator is really important and having a good support crew around you, mm -hmm. finding Unity. the right directors that believe th that we all have the same common goal right. and finding those people, getting rid of the negative people, getting rid of the, the energies that don't, focus on the mission because it's about the mission. It's not about the personality. And, mm. you know, in a lot of um, volunteer organisations, you, you don't have a say who you work with. And, you know, we're all volunteers here in Surfrider Australia. So um, you need as many people to help as you can. You just have to make sure that it's all positive. Mm. Mm. Then it's easy to achieve the mission. Well, what did you learn so far on that? whole journey i'm not talking necessarily here about a surfrider foundation but since the beginning okay um i've learned it's a really big job that's ahead of us mm. it's a really important thing mm. because it's going to benefit our children our grandchildren it's not about me or us sitting here now it's about what the world will be like in 30, 50, 80, 100 years. Um, I've, yeah, I think you just have to keep looking at, at, at the end goal. Mm. And the end goal for me is a, a healthy ocean, a healthy earth, uh, respect of our environment. Mm -hmm. Because if our environment is healthy, we thrive. Mm. So in times of challenges, when things were challenging for you specifically, like a, let's say, for example, emotionally, how did you navigate those challenges? What did you do to be more resourceful? Okay. First of all, depending if it was in public, mm. I'd breathe and mm. then I'd go somewhere and have a big cry, come out of it five minutes later mm. with, with an idea. You know, I think sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you can bounce back up. Mm. Um, and I think you have to look openly and honestly about, I'm not going to say areas where I've failed because failing is a good thing. Falling is a good thing. That's how you learn, how you get better. Um, I think um, I, I'm, uh, when I say I'm, I'm a calm, controlled person, but I'm also, um, I'm, I have a strong sense of emotion. So when I said I went and cried in a corner, I literally did go and cry in a corner for a little bit, but so no one could see, and then come back, boom, and ready and clear how we're going to navigate out of this. And sometimes it's when you allow yourself to be weak and vulnerable, and when you're honest with yourself, mm. that's when you can see the big picture, and that's when you can see the clear path out of there. I don't think you should ever kid yourself that things are just going to be easy and that things are going to come because they don't. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's just important to, um, 
open up to your inner inner emotion and really look at yourself for what you can, what you can't achieve and draw in people that can help you achieve what you need to do. Mm. Did that answer your question? It does, does answer. You say a lot of gems there in what you're saying. There's a lot of gems in what you're saying. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm taking notes of that, trying to build my questions around all the things you're saying, but I don't know if I can have, we can have time to ask all these depths and all these questions, but we'll get into, into that little by little. Um, what I wanted to ask you though was, um, was there for you a sort of mantra or sort of principle in the back of your mind that you always helped you stay there and be strong and be um, as good as you needed to be for the community, for the world, for the ocean, for yourself? Yeah. There are two things that really guide me. Mm. One is um, a friend of mine once said to me, we all live downstream, mm -hmm. meaning we will all be affected by actions that happen further up the line. So we all live downstream. And I'm very mindful that I am one small part of a bigger picture. The other thing is, I always believe if you want to get something done, you don't go to the receptionist of the organization or the, like, I believe in going straight to the top. So I never like to waste my time having to break through the layers to get to the top person. I go straight to the top and never have fear to do that. We are all just people. And one thing I learned as a flight attendant, we'd have many, many famous and celebrated people on board. And, you know, we are, we are groomed and told how to behave with these individuals. But I realized they're just individuals and we all are fr not frightened or nervous of each other, but, you know, everyone has the same insecurities and inhibitions. So I learned from a very young age, if I need something, don't speak to five people before you, like, if, if you want to get something, you go straight to the top. You know, as a young kid, if I wanted that job, I wouldn't do this for a few years to train to get eventually there. We are in a hurry. Just if you go know there. where you want to go, go there. Mm -hmm. Don't be frightened. Go for it. If they say no, if the person doesn't really want to know you, so be it. But I promise you, they will be curious as to who do you think you are coming straight to me? And that's what's happened so many times in my life. I went straight to the top and they were like, no, you can't have an appointment with that person. Well, that's, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to anyone else. I don't want to talk to your assistant. Just go there. And that's, that's really helped. Do you it's take a no for an answer? Do you think a no for a no? Well, do you know what? <laughs> if I see something in my head, oh. I see that in my head. Oh. And when someone says that's not possible, I'm thinking, you're a fool because you can't see it. I, I already see it. That event is happening or that is going to happen. And boom, you okay. make it happen. It's your belief. And if you have enough belief, oh. it, it will happen. I, I really do believe you can. I mean, I'm not an astronaut. I, that'd be a great thing to, to be, but you know, you've got to be realistic. But honestly, I think you believe it, you can make it happen. And that's something I really instill in the young children in my care. Go for it. 
do it. You can do it. Keep raising that bar. They, they will achieve it. People will achieve it. Who did you want to be when you were a kid? Mm, okay. When you were nine years old, 10 years old. Um, I wanted, what I wanted to be was an Olympic swimmer and my times just were not fast enough. And my dad used to say, you don't have the body for a swimmer. You don't have the stroke for a swimmer. You should be a figure skater. And I was like, I don't want to be a figure skater. I want to be a swimmer. And he'd be like, but anyway, I became a skater and it was pretty good. Skating was good. But who did I want to be? I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. And I I didn't quite get there, but that's okay. (laughs) You still swim every morning now. Yeah, yeah. And I met Mark Spitz, my hero. Uh Can you believe it? He was doing a world tour and um, he was doing a world tour at our local shopping mall, which is crazy. Um, There was a gathering. And when I when I read in the newspaper that he was going to be there, I said to my mum, mom, you've got to take me to the mall to, I've got to meet this, this Olympic swimmer. I don't know if you even know who I'm talking about. He was a German swimmer and he seriously was my hero. No, I know the guy you have from Australia, Michael Klim. That's the guy I know. Oh yeah. He's, I know. he's, he's, he's a good swimmer too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had him on board, shoulders like out to there. Yep. It's funny. I had Michael Klin, Ian Thorpe, and who was the other one? Um, Grant. Oh, the dark-haired guy. Anyway, three of them on board, and their shoulders, they did not fit in those economy seats, and they were all like like this, like dominoes, one, one to the other. And I said to them, we've got to find better seats for you, but there were no other seats on the plane. And the poor guys, they were just like all like, on each other it's crazy but anyway going back to my story so we went to the shopping mall and he had he was asking a few questions and um and i had to i had to meet this guy I had to shake his hand because he was my hero there he was on the stage i pushed my way to the front none of those big kids were going to get in my way and he asked a question i knew the answer it was where were the first olympics held in athens in greece and boom i won the prize which was men's swimming costume and a men's t-shirt with his face on it and i mean i've still got it um i was a little kid of course i could never wear the men's swimming costume um but it was good so i got to meet my hero as a kid so you mentioned uh, you mentioned um, doing a lot of networking during the day like i mean it's a lot of your part of the job you have is to be in communication with other people how do you go by in networking yeah you said you mentioned you meeting people on the airplane what yeah well it's bizarre you know um i'll just it, it's funny what life what the universe brings to you mm-hmm. um once i was on an aircraft and i um was going to do my safety demonstration and I went to the front and as I looked down, the first thing we have to do is to survey all the passengers to see who's in our zone and get a feel for who's in our zone. And I looked down and, oh my goodness, there is Captain Charles Moore, the the guy who sailed across the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And my demonstration had started in a seatbelt. And I'm in between doing all this demonstration here, safety this way. I'm going, are you Captain Charles Moore? And I knew he was. And he said, yes. And I said, and as I'm doing all this, I'm going, meet me in the galley after, after we've 
the seatbelt sign comes on, come, I have to talk to you. And it was crazy, you know, just, just how coincidence it's, it's chance. It's not chance. It's, it's meant to be, I think it's the universe lines up these people that you meet and um, yeah. So just chancing upon these people that are really huge environmentalists and people that have seen things and then them sharing their story with you and, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing how the world does this, but obviously, you know, we're all put here for a reason. Do you and, believe in uh, the law of attraction? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How, how do you yeah. think it works? How do you think it works? Well, as strange as it seems, I keep meeting people who are, uh, anti-plastic activists and that's there's not I mean there's, there's a lot of us in the world but um, a lot of people that are involved in in reducing the impacts of plastics and um, I don't know I just keep bumping into them or I, I don't know maybe, maybe it's just obviously the circles that I mix in yeah. you know and the, the places I go to so and also people who are interested uh, by uh, the ocean and like have a connection with the ocean. Absolutely. You, you think if you were interested in something different, you might be attracting or connecting with people who are in those other interests. You know what? I think it's almost what you spend the most time thinking about. Mm. It's you see that everywhere in the world, wherever you go. Mm. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting. One, I was really curious a few years back by, um, there's a, a group called um, a Planet Care and they do the washing machine filters. And I, I loved the concept of what they were doing because they were capturing millions of tiny microfibers and nanofibers off our clothing with each washing machine load. And so I wrote to the organization, I said, oh, I love what you're doing, you know, we don't have anything quite like that in Australia. At the time I was holidaying in Croatia when I was writing this email and the woman that is the founder of the organization said, Oh, I like what you're doing. You know, Oh, you're from Australia. I said, Oh, I'm actually holidaying in Croatia. She says, so am I. Can you believe it? She was staying about 50 kilometers from where I was. So we met for lunch and it was like, I can't believe this. You know, only yesterday I was, researching this thing going wow this is great i've really got to put a bit more um time into seeing what this can do because this can stop a lot of microfibers from entering the ocean and then the next day i'm meeting with the woman it's like it's crazy but this is this is the way my life works these are the circles that these circles these universes keep colliding yeah. and it's it's a good thing a very i think good when thing. you've got a lot of energy a lot of passion the world gives you a few gifts back Right. And I'm very uh, uh, lucky. Lucky is the word, but I work hard at it too. You know, I, I mean, I like really vision is one thing and working hard to get to that vision is a, yeah. a whole different thing also, right? Um, passion. You mentioned the word passion. You seem to be a very passionate person too. The way you speak, the way you, you talk about things. What is your passion? Is it the ocean or is it the climate is it the plastic i can't point at it or is it like a little bit of a sum of everything well it's all related it's all part of the same jigsaw oh. puzzle initially growing up on the beach living on the beach 
you want it to be clean, you want it to be beautiful. Cigarette butts don't belong on the beach, plastic doesn't belong on the beach, but it all comes to the beach. Mm. So I think the journey started there. And then plastics were something that were really niggling me because that's something that we can change. Mm. I, I really think we can change. Um, we are smart enough to think our way out of this. And then uh, last year, I received um, notice that I was invited to train with Al Gore for climate um, reality. And I did the training there and that opened my eyes up. Like I went in there so focused on plastics and his whole mantra was about the whole environment, about the carbon, about what we're doing. And I remember talking to a group of people there and they said, so what's your thing? And I said, oh, marine plastics. And they're like, why are you focusing on that? And I go, oh, it's a big part of the picture. And they're going, it's like you've arrived at a crash and there's a person there with their bones all twisted, their arteries are severed. And here you are saying, oh, look at the ingrown toenail. And she said, what you're focusing on, what you're putting all that energy into is so irrelevant. And I was so hurt by that comment. I thought, no, that's, I said, you're wrong. Plastics play a big part in this because the plastics are derived from the fossil fuels, from the petrochemicals and da, 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 da. And she said, but you're focusing on the wrong thing. And I left the meeting a little bit disillusioned. But when I put more thought into it, I thought, no, it's all part of the one picture. And I don't know enough about the carbon emissions. I mean, I know a bit, but not enough. But um, what I know can help get, can help fill the gaps about this part of the puzzle of the environment. Mm. So I, I think it's all very connected. Um, the, the climate heating the the global heating of the world mm -hmm. is something that we we can no longer ignore because it is affecting the balance of nature rapidly uh, rapidly yeah the whole covid thing has kind of given mother nature a bit of breathing space i suppose in many areas and in other areas like all my plastic friends are campaigning saying Look, look at all the excessive plastic that, you know, everything now is just. So um, it's, we're going to have to look at a way to come around that because it is a different world now. It's um, this was like our 9-11 moment. You know, mm. this is now another game changer. And it doesn't mean we have to sit there going, oh, I'm so scared. It means this is an opportunity to do things better. And we just, we, like I said, we're smart enough. Mm. And um, we we can do things better. We we will. We'll be forced to. We have to. Mm -hmm. Are you able to answer the question of why you do what you do? I've I've been asked that a fair bit. Mm. Um, it is important. Why drive, is it important? The drive. Where does it come from? Mm. You know what? We all have energies everyone has energies and we can choose for them to be put into silly things like watching reality tv which to me i just i don't get but that's i'm not judging anybody that does that like 
I think everyone has energies and if we put it into stuff that needs to be done, like I see that there's something that needs to be fixed. We have to stop waste. We have to stop wasting. We have to stop our dependence on this thing that's kind of mucking up my ocean out there. So why do I do it? I would like to spend my energy um, if I have anger and I, I do kind of, I'm a bit of an angry person too sometimes, sometimes. And rather than expressing it as anger, I put it into, I take it out on, I take it out on the people that are producing plastic. So that's, that's my kind of thing, you know, and you know, when things are tough in the world, when, whenever I've had difficult moments, this environmentalism, this activism has been a great diversion for me. So it's, yeah, it's good. Why not do something good for the, for the earth rather than focusing inward on what I'm feeling. It's, I'm not important. One of many. And are you satisfied for, of, um, with what you have accomplished so far? Do you consider yourself successful in what you have been doing? And what is actually success meaning? Success to me mm -hmm. is how you've raised your children, how you've taught them because they'll carry on things. Um, success is a really strange thing. There's so much to be done. No, I haven't, haven't yet achieved not even like this much of what needs to be done, but it'll get there. You just keep going and... It'll get there. Yeah. So to me, success is is what what you leave behind, what what is in your wake, the respect you get from others. Mm. It's not it's not about me. It's about it's about how you can make things better. Mm. But are you satisfied from how far did you come? What you have accomplished. Yeah, I, you shouldn't be too hard on yourself. Mm. Um, yes, there's a lot more that can be done, but yep, I'm pretty happy with where I, where I am in the world right now. Um, mm. There's there's a long way to go. There's you can, you can never learn enough. Knowledge is power. Education is key. Um, and empowering others and educating others is to me the most important thing. Mm -hmm. What's next? What's next for you? So you said you uh, quit uh, quit the Surfrider Foundation, like from being a yeah. Well, I've I've handed over the handed um, over. role, yeah, to um to to Sean Doherty. He's going to do a great thing. He's going to take it to great places. Um, what's next? I've got X Expedition coming up next April. It was due to be this April, but because of COVID, that got cancelled. What X Expedition is? It's um, a two-year around-the-world sailing voyage and I'm sailing between Tahiti and the Cook Islands doing ocean microplastic research. So we'll be sailing into the currents of plastic and our course is navigated um, from the University of Hawaii and a wonderful professor there is looking at the real-time eddies and currents of the world. And so we'll kind of be like sailing our way, not that way straight. We'll kind of be doing probably loop-the-loops and figure eights following the marine debris 
and picking up as much as we can and seeing what we find along the way. So X Expedition is coming up. Um, I also want to get more involved with some of the um, discoveries, what's happening down in the Great Southern Ocean, down in Antarctica. Um, so th there's a lot more, there's a lot of questions in my head that need answering and I want to go to these places to raise awareness about what mm -hmm. needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so uh, with waves of change, uh, what is it that you, you are doing right now? The wave changer? Wave, wave, wave changer, changer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm one of their ambassadors. Mm -hmm. So basically they are, not basically, they're doing a great job. They're looking at how the surfing industry can evolve into using materials that are more compatible with nature mm -hmm. so there's some really clever people involved in that organization and i think tom wilson who's the founder he asked me to get involved because he knows i'm not afraid to speak and i, I speak at a lot of conferences mm -hmm. and uh he knows i've got you know like yeah, so he said, oh, I'd like you to be an ambassador. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to. Anything that can make an industry cleaner, mm -hmm. um, I think that's a good thing. And, you know, surfers are so in touch with nature, uh, but often the materials that they are using, like surfboards and um, wetsuits, you know, they can kind of be contra to the whole thing so there's some really clever people in that organization who are um coming up with different materials that mm. are more compatible with nature and of course we still want equipment that can aid performance because it's you know if, if you want to just go and surf on a plank you know like you you still want the board to be able to move and like mm. yeah so it's yeah finding materials that are compatible with nature and ways that can benefit nature right how can people get involved uh, i believe a lot of the listeners will be uh, looking up um the interview notes and go on clicking on links and so on how can this help them get more aware you said raising awareness is important so are we here talking only about industries or organizations but also or also individuals who can help somehow do you know what some people are good in organizations and some people just have their own drive. And I think if you see what's important to you, just start doing it and it will attract something will come to you. Like for example, my whole journey started off from picking up rubbish on the beach and my whole world was turned upside down and I was really taken, you know, through the, through a, a into a different universe and, and and i love the fact that um i've met all these wonderful people in different organizations and i would say find what's important to you if it's um just start doing what you think you can to make a change whatever that thing is find your thing and start doing it because mm. everybody has something 
Mm, an interesting that kind of answer. Question. It does make sense, yes. But like practically speaking, I guess you we will be sharing a few links where we can get people to get involved, follow the information, uh, whether it's I don't know on social media or directly on websites where there should be, for example, donations or things like that. Are are, are they able to do this sort of things? Yeah, sure. Um, well. Obviously, I will say Surf Rider Foundation mm-hmm. because Surf Rider Foundation Australia, mm-hmm. um, Australia, mm-hmm. um, Wave Changer. Um, if you're in Europe, the Plastic Soup Foundation, like, boom, they are so good. If you're in the States, Plastic Pollution Coalition, mm-hmm. top. Um, Algalita Foundation in the States, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, like it really depends on where you are in the world. I think the world is a really small place these days. Like, you know, you can be anywhere in the world in 24 hours. Mm. So, you know, we are all connected. Mm. Um, You just find your thing. Like if you're a doer, if you're an adventure person, look up X expedition, look up Homeward Bound, look up all these different uh, organizations and start getting involved. Um, You know, is there's the the cause is huge and there's never enough people to help to do it but many many hands make light work yeah i remember uh back when i used to live in sweden uh i was in a whole different field of work i was doing something completely different i was an art director in advertising and i remember i quit doing that already one time when i was still living in morocco because I thought it wasn't meaningful anymore for me. It was taking, it was marketing, taking a product, making it look better than it is, sell it to people who doesn't even need it. And then when I moved to Sweden, I started doing uh, the same, but on a different level. Um, I was uh, more excited again. I gained back excitement, enjoying on working in, in creativity and so on. But then there was again another point where I felt this wasn't meaningful. And I started looking at how can I channel what I do and do it for an organization that makes sense for me, that, that means something for me. Yeah. And I uh, was looking a lot into Surfrider Foundation. I thought maybe working on campaigns and uh, advertisements and graphics and posters that raise the um, awareness about the plastic and what it does. And that, that could make sense to keep on doing what I did and what I was good at but channel it towards something that is uh, more meaningful, more purposeful. And uh, I I can't recall really well, but I think I reached out to, uh, I was looking for jobs, like volunteering jobs to create in those advertisings. But before doing that, I wanted to have a portfolio that looked like I have done something for that. So I started just being creative on my own, uh, making ad campaigns about plastic, ad campaigns about uh, ocean, because those are the two interests that I always had also. I was also grew up by the ocean, always being conscious um, uh, about the environment and so on. Uh, Yeah, so the message I guess there for people is to, uh, they can also transfer their skills, what they are good at right now, whether it's in business or marketing or advertising or speaking, and see how that can help that and volunteer with it somehow or channel it towards this cause. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's about just getting involved and just starting to do something, no matter what it is. You know, I, I've been really uh, lucky in that over the past few years, I've had interns come to me from, I've had many come from France, um, Italy, South America, um, a lot from um, Australia as well. Mm. And I've worked with these young people. And the first thing I say to them is, what, what lights your fire? What is your thing? And they'll say, oh, you know, what do you, and then they give me the answer that they think I want to hear, which is, oh, yeah, I really want to protect the ocean. I'm like, no, no, no. What, yeah, we all want to do that, but what are you really good at? And then it's about bringing out mm -hmm. the good in the person. And then from there, seeing them just go, whoa, you know, they can do some really good things. So, yeah, I think just everyone has a skill, find it, find an organization, or even if you don't want to attach yourself to an organization, just start doing something and then maybe offer your work somewhere to someone that will really appreciate it and look to see where that takes you. Beautiful. Susie, this was a, a really great conversation. I think there's a lot of uh, gems in our conversation, what we said here. I do have two more little questions though. I hope of this course. will be. <laughs> so, I <can't> <laughs> if you can finish the sentence, life is all about? Service to others. Wow. That was quick. Good one. Happiness come from? In me. I have to find it. Inside. Within. I hope that wasn't selfish, but, <laughs> you know, like, I create my own happiness. I can be happy or I can be miserable. From Choose within. To be happy. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Okay. Anything else would you like to add before we wrap up? I mean, we are wrapping up. Look, thank you so much for this opportunity. It was really great speaking with you today. I just encourage your listeners to get involved, to do something because we all can do something. And, you know, it'll be like that one drop in the ocean. It'll just go out and we can really make a huge impact if we all start doing it. Now is the time. Beautiful. Do you, uh, see, here goes again with another question. Uh, do you uh, have time for answering questions, for mentorship, for uh, guidance, if somebody reach out to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I'd like you to, give, to put my um, contact details out there because I believe it's really important to help others. And, you know, it's about passing on the baton and letting other do, others do things because, you know, the youth, they, they're so fantastic. And I think they can offer the world so much. And yeah, no, I'm all about that. So let's go. Let's sure. do that. Okay. Thank you very much. I see that it's getting darker Thank behind you. you. So <laughs> I see it's getting darker. The light is getting darker behind you. It's been an amazing sunset here. Look, thank you so much. My and favorite. all the best to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. Have a good Take evening. Care. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the key insights that we shared on this podcast interview. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you didn't subscribe yet and head to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com blog to find exclusive articles about various personal and professional development topics. 
And finally, if you are an athlete or a business professional who's looking for help to advance your career and navigate through whatever challenges that you may be facing to win your game, or if you are a corporate organization who would like to offer their team a workplace well-being workshop, or if you are a sports team who's looking at unlocking their full potential, go to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com, scroll to the bottom and hit the contact button and reach out. Thank you and enjoy your day.